Okay, David, um, tell us about this place we're in, this marvellous place we're in today called Tomb Graney. Yeah, well, um, the most historic event uh, is six years ago when I arrived. <laughs> so, so I never knew about Tomb Graney until about six years ago. And yeah. so you're, the impressions I have are, have all been formed in the last six years. And informed as well by by people uh, who have written about the place, um, Ger Madden. I'm looking at Ger Madden's book here, A History of Tomb Grey. It's one of the first things I bought. Uh, because I'm when when you get interested in a place for me anyway, you want to know its history, you want to know its background, uh, and so I that I very quickly sought out. Um, uh, that little book. And we owe an awful lot to Ger Madden, don't we? We do indeed, I think so, yeah. I met Ger, Ger Kem, um, uh, one of the first people I met, actually, on moving into to the house, and uh, our house is located at the, the Holy Well, Coolin's Holy Well, and Ger came out because there was a, a bit of a tree growing out of it at the time, before, <laughs> before I before arrived. You, you arrived. And uh, and obviously he was a bit a bit concerned because the house had been empty for a while. I suppose nobody was looking after it um, and the well. So uh, I met him at that point. And uh, yeah, and sure, East Clare heritage um, is is something that we will always associate it with Jur and so on, and uh, and the research he's done. I mean, the the book which came out in two thousand, a history of Tomb Grainy and Scarif since earliest times, is really. Um, uh, a wonderful collection of facts is what I would how I would describe it, and so a lot of the information that uh, that people will have will will be drawn from this. But one of the first things that struck me, and I suspect that would strike visitors now, maybe locals, because you know sometimes uh, locals uh, these things become invisible over time. But the first thing that struck me when I came to Tomb Grainy was the rock and the tree growing out of the rock. I'd never seen anything like it. Mm. Uh, of course, you come from Cork. They don't uh, well, grow out of rocks down there. We, we don't ha- we, 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 in North Cork, we certainly don't have rock formations like that. <laughs> Wonderful land in, in North Cork. But there's a picture um, here in Nula's uh, of this tree growing out of the rock. It's just, it appears to me if it's growing out of Jim Collins's head because it's, uh, <laughs> it has just uh, emerged there. But I uh, better not move <laughs> then. Move. But this, this remarkable feat of nature that you, you have a tree uh, growing out of, of an enormous rock. Mm. And it's the rock, I suppose, that has lent itself to the naming of the place. Uh, the, the, wor- the word chum uh, or chum and when we could think a little bit about why, uh, in some places, uh, in some some people in the past would have referred to it as Tom Grainy, yeah. uh, and and others Tomb Grainy. Well, I think if you think about the accents a little bit and and the emphasis placed on word Chum, mm. Chum Grainy, and and I think that could be. I don't know, John, uh, about the Irish pronunciation, but with accents and Tomb, Tomb, Tomb. Yeah, I'm running Tomb, Tomb yeah. Grainy. Tum. Yeah. I don't know, Jim, what, uh, would you, how would you pronounce that in Irish? Well, I mean, locals tend to say Tom Graney. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I always thought, and I have no reason for thinking it, this, the, the kind of polite way of saying it is, is Tom Graney. Yeah, yeah. Tomb Graney. Yeah. And, and uh, if you said Tom Graney, you were, you know, it wasn't... Uh, you were local. 
Yeah, I suppose you were local. It certainly wasn't a formal kind of yeah. way of addressing the village. Go over there quick to Tom Graney, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I, it may have been to do with um, pronunciation, but if you actually look at the school, the plaque on the school, mm. the national school here opposite us, it's spelt T-O-M. That's right. Tom yeah. Graney. So, um, but Tum uh, or Tum uh, means mound or burial place. Uh, mound we can easily visualize. It's yeah. it's certainly a ma- that rock formation, a ge- this geological manifestation. I mean, it's not the local rock. It is limestone, I imagine. Uh, it's not the sandstone. So it is peculiar in its own right, in a geological sense. And then the way it, it just appears out of the ground. Now, it's not only. If you if you go out of the village, you'll see these bits of rock emerge. Out, outcrops. Outcrops mm-hmm. emerge. Um, and then Gronia. Tum Gronia, Grena. Yeah. Uh, what, what, you're, you're both well, language I'm speakers. automatically drawn towards the uh, goddess. Gronia. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, the, the, I think there's two schools of thought that it, it could be certainly this goddess, Gronia, mm. uh, the burial place of Gronia. Uh, the other school of thought is that Gronia is very close to Grena, yeah. which is the sun. And of course, Gronia could have been a sun goddess. Yeah. And so we, we, we're allowing our imaginations now to flow, uh, and we hope the <laughs> listeners will, fo- <laughs> will follow us. This place could have been, at a very early time, uh, uh, the place where, because of its geological uniqueness, mm. like it stands out. And if this place was a wooded place, this outcrop would have, w- wouldn't have had, uh, would have been a clearing in essence mm. it would it would have also been a meeting place and uh, as it is today it's yeah. a meeting place of three roads that's right uh, you're coming up from Killaloo it's the only place yeah. I mean, think of the think of the landscape and the mountains so you're not going to be up in the mountains you're going to be hugging the, the, the lake land. as you do yeah. uh, as you still do today and then the road from Ennis is coming in, and then the road from Scarif. So it's a natural meeting place, and it's a meeting place at this particular strange geological formation. Uh, Mm. It strikes me that if you have a thousand people gathered there, sure, the most natural place for the the speakers to stand would be on a rising... Atop of the rock. Wouldn't it? Atop of the rock. So that adds hugely to its association. Now, of course, when you you take in take Scarif, let's say, into consideration, and yeah. Scarif, for most of its time, was part of Tumgraney Parish. It was. Uh, but but Scarif, we'll say, reputedly gets its name from Scarif, which is a, a crossing rapids. place on a river. A crossing place on the river. So, yeah, so on, on the way to Tumgraney. Yeah. No, well, <laughs> I would say that people who came from the Limerick direction or the Ennis yeah. direction... Yeah. They they approach the right. Possibly the reads the reason the roads are there is because yeah. this was a place if you were going north yeah. to, cross to cross the river Grainy. Otherwise, you're going all around mountains and what exactly. Yeah. So, so it's a it's a natural it kind is. of a meeting point. Yeah. just before you cross yeah. the river, a strategic point indeed. Yes. Yeah, uh, I think um, because of all these things, are the the ancient peoples that were here would have viewed this as an important ritual site. Mm-hmm. And they would have explained it potentially as uh, the burial place of Gronia, or 
and I'm using a fair bit of my imagination at this stage, uh, it, it could be the place where they worshipped the sun goddess. Uh, it could be in a place of worship. It could, and that, that would naturally lead you into speculating. Sure, it's a natural place for a Christian a Christian center. Exactly. It is. Okay, isn't if, it? If, if you are early Christians, and, and of course we know the names of the early Christians that were here. Yeah. Uh, Saint Cronin. Cronin. And um, uh, Saint Cronin and Saint Coolin. Yes. These are, we, uh, they're ingrained in our memory because we still use these names. When they arrived, they realized the place's importance to the people. Exactly. And it was therefore they had to Christianize the place, and hence, and again, we're using a lot of our a bit of uh, speculation. Of course, this is what archaeologists, historians, wouldn't do this at all. Never, no, ever. We'd, we'd have to have some <laughs> bit of evidence. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can imagine then the establishment of the monastery. Yes. Uh, say the the of which the remaining part today is Saint Cronin's. I mean, it's one of the most uh, inf uh, important buildings of that era. But there was a round tower. There, there was presumably other um, settlement where the where the monks would have lived and 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 uh, farmed because these were farmers and indeed protected themselves. Tomb Grainy was raided at various points according to the annals of the uh, various uh, annal annals. E even so the Kellys came down from Haimani, raided Tomb Grainy. <laughs> <laughs> I opened. So I, 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 I have the annals of the four masters and all and the annals of the four masters, and here I read about. My people coming down. It's no harm to emphasize that because we kind of think we ourselves are totally holy. And <laughs> what have you. Oh, the Kellys were anything but well, holy. Anything but <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's an important point to realize that, uh, of course, it, we always think it's, it's just the Vikings raiding our monastery. It, uh, exactly. But yeah. it, it, it is the Kellys. It, the, the, actually, the Irish are more likely to be raiding the yeah. other. And because monasteries were also political establishments and they were protected by the big people around. And here in Tomb Grainy, well, you, uh, going back, it would have been O'Brien Brew territory. Yeah. Going and mm. the, 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 the satellite, the, the main base for that is, of course, Killaloo. Um, but he, he dominated much further than Killaloo. And ultimately, of course, O'Grady territory. Yeah. These, and O'Grady's, uh, the O'Grady's became inseparable from the ecclesiastical establishment uh, alongside the political establishment. So that was understandable, though, isn't it? Because you have, you have patronage by the strong clan. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that emerges from the Middle Ages uh, in that regard is that the clan liked the idea of control yeah. of the ecclesiastical centre yeah. yeah. and the appointment yeah. of bishops yeah. accordingly. Yeah. No it meant you, it, it kept it in the family. It kept, oh, very power, much. kept yeah. power local. Yeah. Um, it was their territory after all. You can't have somebody else coming in uh, like the Kellys. <laughs> um, and and, I and it, they offered protection. That's the key point. One yeah. can assume as well, and we are speculating and making mm. assumptions, but I think justifiably so this morning, that, let's say, the monastic settlement, which was in Moino, and an even greater one in Inishkaltra, yeah. would all have been connected and would all have been under the patronage of, you know, the O'Grady's yeah. or Brian Baru or yeah. The yeah. whoever was 
wielding yeah. power yeah. at the time. I think so. I think that's a, that's oh, yeah. that 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 is fairly reasonable, and I'd say established that uh, that these are different locations of the one great monastic yeah. settlement. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, the, these we, we often just isolate, you know, Inishkaltra to Grady, but they had also vast lands mm. to support. The, these were rich yeah. in, institutions, and their wealth is indicated by their building work, particularly the Round Tower. Once you see a round tower, or you know that it exists, now there's speculation as to where the round tower in Timgraney might have been, but once you see that, you know status. Yeah. That's a sign of status. The, 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 the Irish expression for round tower is a cligchach. Yes. You know? Clig meaning bell. Bell, yeah. Oh, coming back, Jim, uh, 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 David, the village uh, of Timgraney as a monastic site would have been a walled-in village, a fenced-in village, okay. We have not discovered, as you said yourself, we have not discovered the actual round tower, location of it. I still think that an intensive aerial photography, an intensive aerial photography, okay, uh, might give us outlines, subsoil, of where the actual, if if walls were used or if clay were used as ditches, and I think that that's something that we're in a position to actually do yes. with yes. drone photography, photography. Mm. and with the actual, mm. with Owen and and others who are you know and experts a, and a, on that and a sort of a dry, very dry summer where yeah. these things might might yeah. crop up literally. No, I, I, I want to blow a hole in all your theories. Oh, you do. Go on, go on, Jim. Uh, these fanciful notions <laughs> of of worshipping the sun. <laughs> well, no, I jest slightly. But as you know, and both of you are involved in education, I mean, what you're told in school is how it is. And if you learn something at school, that's what you keep with you for the rest of your days. Yeah. So what we were told in school back in the, in the, in the 60s was that... Um, it was very easy to explain how Tumgraney got its name. And as you speculated in the beginning, it was Grania. Mm. And Grania was uh, a beautiful woman who lived near where Pat McNamara lives, uh, in the sort of Cahar Flagmount region. Yeah. And every morning she had a job to do, and that was to go down to the well in the valley and collect water in her bucket. But it wasn't just an ordinary well, it was quite a dangerous and deep well and had to be kept covered. So this morning, anyway, Grania went down to the well, filled her bucket. She wasn't thinking straight, however. She had met some lad at Akali the night before. Something like, I'm speculating now. By God you are. But (laughs) anyway, she turned her back and headed for home, leaving the well uncovered. And deep down in the bowels of the earth, a bit like La Palma today, a gurgling sound. And the water started shooting up. And it began to flood the valley and she looked behind when she heard it and she saw it coming towards her. She wasn't able to get away quick enough to get up to higher ground. She was overtaken by the water. In fact, the entire valley filled with water. And poor Grania was drowned. Mm. And when that valley filled, 
that valley became what's now known as Loch Grania. Loch Grania. Loch Grania. Yeah. And then it overflowed out at the end of the valley and down on the way down headed for Scariff. And it became the River Grainy. Mm. So the River Grainy and it still flows. Mm. And it went all the way until it reached the River Shannon. And it reached the River Shannon at a point known as Deragrania. And her body was found in bushes on the bank of the river at Deragrania. Mm. And of course the poor lady was buried in Tombgrania. Mm. And that was the story that we were told in school uh, of how all these places got yeah. their names and that would have yeah. been... Jim. Jim. A better Jim. story Jim. than oh. mine. Jim. <laughs> Jim, episode two, listening at 10 o'clock. <laughs> but, you know, I forgot to mention uh, that the uh, the name Grania, uh, translated as a, as a Christian name, is for grace. So we have Grania Whale, Yes. In, in West Mayo. Do uh, you have, have you any relations, uh, Grania or Grace? I, 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 I know a Grania up in Whitegate. Indeed. And yeah. so, I mean, Grace. Yeah. Interesting. Now, that yeah. translation, I mean, I don't know how far back you can go to to decipher that, that one, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, the documents associated with, yeah. with Grace O'Malley always yeah. refer to as Grania. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the mythology and and the reals there there is a relate there's always a relationship and and uh, that it lends itself for continuity and names were rarely changed mm. um, so it, it, you, you you I think our ancestors in the past tried to explain a lot of their features through stories yes and 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 that is a story that reverberates and resonates and. It, Ticks all the boxes. It ticks all the boxes. Yes, um, <clears throat> yes. but yeah. there is there. there we, we can be a little bit more certain then on uh, on on a few of the later events. Certainly, the one thing that might uh, interest listeners throughout the. The, the, the morning is our concentration on the park because we'll be touching a little bit of, about it in the second hour, the, the, the green. The green, the rock. The, the, rock, the rock, this particular area. Um, uh, but interestingly, it, it was always... Uh, uh, John, you mentioned a meeting place and it's a sort of a natural meeting place, whether you imagine it for yep. religious purposes, ritual purposes, or indeed for political purposes. And I'm here relying on Ger Madden's uh, book, um, he has he has a little bit on the rock of Tomb Grainy, but did you know that Daniel O'Connell came to Tomb Grainy? He didn't come to Scariff now. He he came to Tomb Grainy uh, in the eighteen twenties and held one of his big meetings, monster meetings, monster meetings, yeah. and stood presumably on that rock, uh, being the highest point. And of course, we have to imagine today it's been walled in, and I think we'll get to that in the second the, when it was walled in. But 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 before that, presumably, it's a very large open space. Uh, that rock probably extends right around, so it would it, it would have been fairly um, exposed, and people would have. And it's the fair area; it's the fair the fair marketplace as well. So there wouldn't have been much grass. Where, where the word green comes from, I'm not exactly sure. It's green today, and of course, in very polite English villages, that's, that's you would an have the village yeah. green. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, um, you can imagine here in the 1820s a mass meeting with O'Connell 
speaking from the rock and uh, people coming up from the three from those three roads that I mentioned that yeah. we were talking about from all around coming to this place it's not it would have been natural you see O'Connell picked important sites like that mm. um, and picked sites that number one would be central mm. to the surrounding community um, and number two he needed a place where he could be heard mm. and with the village the way it was and again the village there's that lovely photograph here the the, the Tomb Grady Development Association have put up a nice plaque at the green which has a photograph from the 1890s lovely photograph uh, of the village looking up from let's say St. Cronin's Church up towards the the green and the rock and you can see the rock and you can see the tree the tree appears as if it hasn't grown at all it's the same size so it's very hard I think to age that to give when that tree might have emerged but anyway also in that lovely photograph is uh, a fella uh, uh herding a calf. Um, there's a calf in front of him anyway. Whether he's driving him or not, I'm not sure. But it's a, it's a very evocative... This is about 1890 now, when Lawrence was taking all his photographs around the country. But the point I'm going to make is, also in that photograph, there is uh, there are three-story houses, which no longer exist. Uh, and the village has, of course, evolved over time, and its buildings have evolved. Where were they? This David? is on now the left-hand side. If you're looking up, if you're if you're he- if you're looking up from St. Cronin's, they're on the left-hand side. We have still some three-story houses yeah. on the right-hand side, but they weren't photographed. But you can imagine a, a, a little bit more of a built-up village, is what I'm saying. Today, it's it's a little bit different. It's a little bit low-scale, but in the 19th century. Uh, the village was a little bit more substantial in terms of its its scale. And I think O'Connell was uh, observant of this. So his voice would have would have been contained to a certain extent by these by these buildings. Remember the church also, the church wasn't there. The, the new Catholic church was only built in the 1890s, roughly when this photograph was taken. That was closer to the, the, the green, the fair green. Mm. Um, so it's a substantial, it's a substantial area. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to look at that photograph, I would encourage people to come down. It's printed here on, on, on the information panel. David, in relation to, and Jim, in relation to the um, uh the church, you just mentioned the building of the church there in the 1890s. Uh, to emphasize that the altar, we mentioned it before, that the altar of the church uh, is is uh, ascribed to uh, Paul Pierce's father, that he, he did the actual yes. work on that. Yes. Okay. And uh, the church is 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 a lovely. It's a small Catholic church built in yeah. the eighteen nineties. But you'll and you'll notice that there 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 are two um, two little pinnacles or towers on the, on the either side. Now, what struck me was whoever the architect was. And I'm not sure who the architect was in the eighteen nineties. I think the architect was thinking a little bit about the old Saint Cronans. Yeah, old Saint Cronans have two. And there, it is a sign that the building is pre-Norman. Uh, antennae is what they're called. These yes. two bits that stick out at the gable end of the wall. This is on the south gable of the wall now. Supporting, supporting. Yeah. They, they're not now, just ornamental. Well, they are in a way ornamental because the original church was made out of timber. The barn. Though. And the timber needed to stick out. It's a bit a bit like uh, a log cabin. You need a bit sticking out. So when they converted it to stone, 
they liked or they maintained the look of these things. So it doesn't serve too yeah. much of a purpose, these antennae or these things, mm. these pillars that stick out. But I thought in that the architect of the new Catholic Church may have may have had some sympathy or paid some homage to this mm. earlier uh, edifice. And that's why Tomb Graney's church looks rather unique. I mean, you don't find that any, anywhere else. But the other thing, Jim, that that has struck me over the last six years is the the friendly rivalry between Scarif and Tomb Graney. Certainly, uh, James Fleming, my son, uh, who 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 um, is a hurler at the age of six um, for Badike Tomb Graney. Um, uh, was looking forward to the match with Scarif, <laughs> and and I I was of the opinion that um, God these Scarif fellas are going to are going to be very really tough devour them is the word, <laughs> uh, and so th- this natural rivalry was even coming out through me, which I, surprised me. And, uh, really, it, I, I, could, I couldn't I could hardly believe it. Um, I, but anyway, I, I, I suffice it to say that the that Tomb Grainy lads devoured the, uh, the, the Scarif <laughs> lad. <laughs> but I was curious about this. There's always sorts of these rivalries between neighbours. It's it's everywhere in the country. But the, sociolog- the sociologists would be very interested in digging a bit more deeply as to how David himself acquired and soaked in and absorbed I, I this knew. sense of... By the way, by the way, when you were talking earlier about... Uh, uh, Daniel O'Connell using particular types of of geographic terrain, okay, to uh, for his monster meetings. Lisperine Hill, that's the hill opposite Kilno Cemetery, okay. Uh, that that hill was used by O'Connell as well for a major and to speak of the, I mean, the commentators of the day go wild. With their number count, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think thousands so, and thousands. Oh, thousands. Yeah. But clear, quite clearly, it was big. But it raises another question. You had Lisperine, okay, opposite the graveyard in Kilno, that hill there mm. used. Mm. You had Tomb Graney, mm. as you described well there, okay. Both are in under the influence of clergy, yeah, who had a strong, how would yeah. I call it? nationalistic feeling as you know the church in the absence of halls and things like that yeah. the chapels were used as uh, political centers yeah. in the 18th, yeah. 19th yeah. century okay and that's why that's he's so successful yeah um but uh, the the i i did uh, the sociologists might be interested well i was hanging around people like jim collins and 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 john s and that's where i was getting my my information <laughs> on scarif tomb grainy and, and and but but interestingly when you go back in the past this manifested itself in all sorts of ways uh, and more violent ways so in 18 mm. i think it's around the 1819 1818 uh, uh, the big man at that point, the O'Grady's had moved on and it was the Brady's uh, and the Brady's of Raheen uh, were, were the local landowners and uh, the, 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 the family in Scarif, I think the Druze wanted to set up a, a market in competition to the market over to the fair green here in Tumgrady um, and Mr., Mr. Brady was having none of it. He assembled his men 
his yeoman, he called them yeomanry, but they were his men. Mm. And uh, one evening marched into Tomb, uh, into Scarif, broke every window that he could come across, and broke <laughs> any head that he could also come across. He is described in newspapers uh, uh, as being completely out of control with his rabble. Uh, he would have said uh, he was serving a warrant on somebody, um, uh, and he brought his yeomanry. Um, so, but anyway, this was playing out, this, this rivalry, this commercial rivalry. I mean, the places are very close, and when you get that closeness, you're bound to get sort of market competition. Um, well, at least today, the rivalry is of a friendly nature. <laughs> it's on the hurling. <laughs> on the hurling field, yes. Maybe, maybe there's a linkage somewhere there. Quite possibly. Have you any Quite letters possibly. from the I period? have one letter, and now this this letter was sent to me by a descendant of the person who wrote it. Uh, uh, the person was a Pollard, and I know there's a Letitia Pollard, a friend of mine. I met her up in Dublin uh, recently, and I told her where I was living, and she said, oh, I think one of my people were um, were, were stationed there when, when they were in the army. I said, oh... Will you send me that? And she, she very dutifully the next day sent it to me. It's a letter from uh, the 22nd of July, 1847. So this is famine time now. Right. And uh, it's my dear Georgie, and uh, it's written from this Pollard chap. And I, I, I won't read it through all of it because we haven't had time, but he's giving out a little bit. But he, his last paragraph is... You cannot conceive a more miserable hole than this. He's writing from Tom Graney. <laughs> about Tom Graney. Yeah, about Tom Graney and from Tom Graney. You cannot conceive a more miserable hole than this, situated in the wildest part of the county of Clare. Nothing is to be procured without sending to Limerick for it, and the inhabitants are the greatest savages that ever I met. <laughs> what? What a contrast to Leicester. I have some. Now, a contrast a, he, to where? To Leicester in England. He's an Irishman. <laughs> I have some. Of official letters to write today, so excuse the shortness of this note. Um, and he's giving out about the post as well, that yeah. there's only one post in the day rather than two. Now, we're lucky if we have one post in the day. That's right. But yeah. uh, now, contrast then to what a Frenchman uh, about uh, about 50 years earlier had said, and he referred to it, and I, here I'm referring to Ger's book, if I can find it very quickly. I can find it, but he says, it's the prettiest little village that you'll ever come across. So you've got two contrasting experiences. Now, 1847, it's a hard time. Yeah. And to all intents and per, per, like if you're looking at it in 1847, people are struggling, yeah. and that is contributing to this um, to this picture that we're receiving. Mm. Okay, yeah. listen, absolutely wonderful, and we didn't even get to all the various things which uh, historical uh, monuments which are in and buildings and structures which are in Tomb Grainy, which would provide a most fantastic uh, tour for visitors. Absolutely. And we might we might talk about that when we get back to Tumgraney. Yeah, uh, we'll be coming back to Tumgraney. Oh, by God, we will. We, uh, but I just wanted to say that... Go ahead, uh, John. The letter, the letter in itself that uh, David read there is valuable. But there's also something else emerging out of that significance, I think. And that is the appreciation which families may have and should have perhaps for old letters that lie in the old attic or that granny has kept you know and the the insight which they give us to not just the story of the letter but the wider context mm. in which mm. that letter was written exactly and the same i would say the same for photographs yes so we are dependent you know aren't we so much we're dependent not on the official 
yes. history of places. Yes, exactly. Because very often... Oh, it's these little snippets. This is the type of work I do as a historian. It's these snippets that are so critical and important. And they're often just rare and they're often fleeting. But they do tell their own story. Okay, we'll, we'll finish up that discussion now and we'll have a piece of music. And uh, we'll have a piece of music which will lead us into our next guest... And that's uh, Manus McGuire. And Manus here is playing Genevieve's Waltz. (laughs) 